Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. As we're gathering once again with family and friends during the holidays, most of us are eager to resume our annual social festivities, of course. But for many people, especially isolated older adults, this is a lonely season. And it's not just these times. Research from the University of California, San Francisco, found that 43% of adults over 65 say they feel lonely, which puts them at a higher risk for poor health. The COVID-19 pandemic has made social isolation worse, but didn't create it. This problem has been growing for years, spreading across nations, as well as across various age groups. In today's episode, we'll be talking with three distinguished experts about loneliness and social isolation, and what approaches we can explore to deal with these issues. Eddie Garcia is Executive Director of the Foundation for Social Connection, a nonprofit organization that aims to foster evidence-based solutions addressing social isolation and loneliness. Marcia Slater-Johnston is a journalist and founder of Make Room at the Table, an affinity group whose mission is to develop strategies to alleviate social isolation and loneliness among older adults. And Dr. Carl Parisonato, an associate professor in the Division of Geriatrics Department of Medicine at the University of California in San Francisco. Uh, She has gained national and international recognition for her research on the effects of loneliness on the health of older adults. These experts will cover a broad, provocative range of issues. How do you define loneliness as opposed to social isolation or simply being alone? Who's the most at risk for loneliness? What are the risks in terms of physical and mental health? What's driving loneliness today here in the U.S. compared to, say, in the, U- in the United Kingdom, which has appointed a minister of loneliness? And how are experts across multiple fields and organizations partnering to analyze these questions and propose systemic solutions and policies to promote social connection? You'll discover how we can make a difference for ourselves and for others to curb loneliness, whether it's during the holidays or other times of isolation. So now let's meet our guests today. Eddie, Marsha, and Carla, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Thanks, Thanks, Ron. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having us. Great. Great. Delighted to have you. So this is a broad and complicated field, and there are a lot of different perspectives. So what I want to do, actually, folks, is just start with perhaps each of you just giving a sense of how you got interested in the issue, a little bit about your career path, and you know what, what intrigues you about it personally and professionally. And so what's your particular perspective on it? So I think I'm going to start, we'll start east to west this time. So I'm going to start with Eddie, with you. Uh, Thanks, Ron. So interesting way to start, and I appreciate the, the change up there, so it's fun. Um, so, um, you know, for me, uh, my career has really focused on vulnerable populations um, and the intersection of sort of public health and healthcare um, for the last 20 years. Um, I have a strong background in the healthcare system and in healthcare delivery system reforms, new payment policy, and how we move from a, a system that away from paying for services and more toward value and more toward outcomes. Um, as part of that journey, um, I, and my, I have a background in public health and master's mm-hmm. of public health, um, have always been interested in sort of the, the nexus of um, economic policy, 
of social determinants of health and how those have played a role in our health and, and well-being. So for my background, it's really around the whole FDOH, social determinants of health space. Um, and so as part of that, um, with the growing concerns around um, social isolation and loneliness and their impacts on our well-being, um, it has really just been a natural um, you know, progression for me in that space. Um, from the broader perspectives for me, I'm very interested in broad-based solutions, so policy solutions um, and frameworks by which various stakeholders can engage um, to make an impact in the well-being of, of people across the, the globe. So really excited to be talking with you about, about those pieces. Great, great. We'll, we'll be pl- talking plenty about that. So now, Marcia, how about you? Well, I am a journalist. I've been a journalist for more than 50 years, but I also wear another hat. I advise, and for 26 years, I've advised the Harry G. and Charlotte H. Slater Family Fund, which is a small family philanthropy that provides seed grants for pilot programs that improve the quality of life for older adults and in this case, in the greater Milwaukee area, we, we fund in that, in that geographic space. Many of the grants that we have given, either wholly or in part, have addressed social isolation and loneliness. And this is some, a subject that has been near and dear to my heart mm. for quite a time. Um, I have seen people um, close to me deal with isolation and loneliness as they grew older um, I've had some experience with social isolation and, and loneliness, so that um, informed how I wanted um, and how I advised on on the grants um, that our family philanthropy has given. But also, um, I was concerned, and many other people were concerned, about the loneliness and social isolation that has taken place during COVID, mm-hmm. and it has while the the issue has always been there, COVID has exacerbated it, and particularly for older adults. And and uh, this is this has been a real concern. So in July 2020, I was one of the founders of a new affinity group called Make Room at the Table. Mm-hmm. Make Room at the Table is comprised of people engaged in the field of aging who want to develop strategies to improve the quality of life for older adults who are socially isolated and alone and um, possibly come up with solutions that will actually alleviate um, the social isolation and loneliness, or at least mitigate it in some, in some degree. And I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk about social isolation and loneliness because it's a subject that doesn't really come up very often in right. conversation. Right. Delighted to have you. And then Carla in San Francisco. Yes, all the way out in California. A little yeah. bit far from everyone, but still somehow connected. So how about that? Yeah. Um, so I'm a geriatrician and palliative medicine physician. And um, and then prior to that, I actually, like Eddie, uh, worked in public health and have a background mm-hmm. in anthropology. And so really, um, you know, I entered medicine with an understanding that what keeps people healthier, what impacts their health is not just what we learn in medical school, but rather everything else and probably more importantly, everything else. Mm -hmm. And so in my own practice, in my own patients, I started seeing something. I didn't know what that was because I wasn't taught about it in medical school. And then that something turned out to be loneliness and isolation. And I was like, this is something we're not learning about. 
we're not uh, we're not focusing on yet it's impacting our our um, older adults. And so I started researching it. Um, so I started with the research of understanding the health effects. And like Marsha and Eddie, I'm also very interested in what do we do about it now that we know that this is a problem, both on a personal, individual level, but also on a systemic and public health level, and frankly, international health level, if we really think more broadly. Right, right. All important points. Um, so let's just talk a bit more about you know just framing the issue. You've brought up a lot of different dimensions to it. I just want to uh, have each of you think about um, well, how do we define it? I mean, so we're talking about loneliness, social isolation, just being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are different aspects of it, some more subjective or objective. Um, so I want to talk a bit about how you you and other researchers define loneliness. So maybe I'll start with you again, Carla, from a research perspective. And then sure. and folks, just jump in when, you know, Eddie and Marsha jump in as, as you will. Yeah, so I think from a research perspective, um, and and really just from a from a anthropological perspective, if you think about it, you know the need to belonging to belong is actually something that's very central to being human, and actually, frankly, being an animal anyway. You know, everyone wants to belong to a tribe, so to speak. Um, but I think the point that you raise, Ron, is that the objective and the subjective component is what's important. So to be lonely is actually something that is subjective. There is a subjective, it's a subjective feeling. There is a deficit between the relationships you want and those that you actually have. And it is something that is distressing. So being lonely is not an enjoyable thing. That is different than social isolation, which is really more about the quantifiable number of relationships someone has. That is also different than being alone because being alone may be by choice, Um, It may not be by choice, but it's not always distressing. So this is important because I think some people take offense to these words and say, well, I'm alone, but that doesn't mean that I'm lonely. And that's absolutely true. Or it may be that you're lonely sometimes. Or for some of us, we may be married. We may be in a partnership with a family and still experience loneliness. And so it is something that can fluctuate over time. It can vary from one day to the next. As we saw during the pandemic, All of us, to some degree, if we were following rules, had some new isolation in our life. Uh, We would call it physically distancing um, that led to some social isolation. Um, And so this was a new thing. Now, not all of us became lonely, though. So I think those are some basic things to really get down um, to really understand what we're talking about. Right. And I think sort of conversely, you know, just because it's uh, loneliness is a subjective phenomenon. It's still real. <laughs> oh. It's something that people really experience and, and broadly experience. So, I don't know, did you want to mention it, either Eddie or, or Marsha, add to, to what Carla said? I mean, you, you've, you've talked about the social determinants of health, Eddie. So, I don't know if you want to talk yeah, about no, that. Yeah, no, Carla, of course, perfectly described, you know, what, what <laughs> I was thinking about, the distinctions between the two and the sort of um, unrelated and, and oftentimes those synergistic, so that you can be isolated, not be lonely. You can have loneliness, not be socially isolated. One can lead to the other as well. So that I think what Carla was getting at is just how complex this is. Um, and it really takes on an individualistic nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the key here and the, the, the value of screenings, of adequate screenings, um, can't be underscored more. Um, so that we can truly identify what is the issue uh, that that individual is experiencing, and then we can solution for that specifically for them. Right. I think the only other thing I'll mention is that the impacts of these, as you just mentioned, Ron, 
are, are very real. And those, those impacts are around our physical, mental, behavioral, cognitive, and economic health. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, there was several studies from Carla and others um, to point that there's a nearly 30% increase in premature mortality um, right. from social isolation and loneliness, equivalent to smoking. I'm sure you've heard this statistic, up to 15 cigarettes per day. Right. There's right. increased risk of depression and suicidality on the mental health side. Increased risk of, de of decline, uh, mental decline, a cognitive decline in dementia. And uh, a study by Cigna came out suggesting that it's uh, cost the Medicare program up to $6.7 billion annually. That's just the Medicare program alone. Right. So as you point out, these, these impacts are very real from these two issues. Right. I would, just, I would just like to build on what Eddie said about the physical effects. Um, I had, had a friend um, in her 90s who became isolated in midtown Manhattan. She lived on the east side. And I would call her, and she hadn't talked to anybody in a week. I called her every week, but a caregiver. And when I first started talking to her, there was this woman who was, could barely talk, I could hear her labored breathing. She was very depressed. She couldn't, you know, couldn't articulate very well. And as the conversation went on, her breathing calmed down. She started to, to talk in a normal voice. She started to laugh a little bit. And by the time we, we hung up 45 minutes or an hour later, I was talking to a different person. So I think that personifies exactly what Eddie is talking about is, is how this can affect a, a a human being um, physically to be alone. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I. One of the things I do is I, I do um, volunteering for the Alzheimer's Association. Oh, I'm wonderful! A community edu community educator for them, and I. So I do a, a workshop called uh, Healthy Living for Your Brain and Body, and they, so it's it's really more it's it's a preventative thing. What what can you do um, to reduce the risk of loss of cognition? And they mention. Um, uh, which you guys would know. So exercise, diet and nutrition, cognitive stimulation, social st stimulation. Mm -hmm. And it really does have an impact, you know, the, uh, you know, from the Alzheimer's perspective, um, you know, they don't, they don't go deeply into the research as you guys do, but, but there is this, certainly this aspect of, of loneliness that, that interestingly affects both the all person with Alzheimer's or dementia as well as the caregivers who often find themselves isolated and trying to take care of them. So it, it's, it's a real thing and, and it's, it's a widespread thing. Um, well, well, you know, and I think what's, what's, what's interesting, Ron, is that, you know, for me as a, a researcher and then as a clinician, it's been really fascinating. So I, um, the research that I did and published in 2012, so it's almost 10 years ago, which is kind of insane that it's been that long and how quickly time flies, but you know, I finally was able to see it in writing by research, mm -hmm. what I was seeing in my practice, 45% increased risk of death, all these things. And then you see it in practice and then the pandemic hit and we all saw it firsthand. This is what it means. This is exactly, Marsha, your story about your friend. This is what it means and how you actually see it happen. Before it seemed like this very um, non-tangible concept and then we experienced it. Right. Right. And I would um, like to say about yeah, caregivers is that one of the things that can happen to caregivers, whether they're caregiving for physically incapacitated or people with cognitive impairment, 
is that the caregiver, exactly what you said, Ron, becomes isolated. And then after that person passes away, they're at a loss. They, they've lost their social connections. They've sometimes lost their ability to connect with people, to form friendships. And, and they become, you know, both isolated and lonely and very depressed. So that is a big, that is a big problem. And it's one of the things that Make Room at the Table is looking at. Right. Right. Uh, we just have a couple minutes before break, but I just wanted to start on, on looking at a, a different aspect of it, which is, as you guys know, that, yeah, so, so we focus on uh, social isolation uh, and loneliness, especially among older populations, but it's by no means unique to this population. And I think that's one thing that, that we're discovering more and more, um, that there are certain <laughs> periods that are, are of peak, you know, loneliness and isolation. Uh, and as you mentioned, Carla, it, it's not if you're. It's not literally if you're. If you're alone, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's that feeling of subjective uh, uh, loneliness and and disconnection, um, and so one of the areas is that that I've seen too is that among younger people, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, you know people in their twenties uh, experience the same sense of loneliness, even if they're in college, even if they're surrounded by their peers. Um, and uh, so, uh, what I wanted to do is when, when we we're gonna I'm gonna uh, go to break in a, in a few seconds. But when we come back and talk a little bit about that, about you know the, the differences of, of this experience at different ages, and also as part of that, not surprisingly, the role of technology in that whole uh, equation. So, um, so folks, we're gonna take a quick break, two minute break, but we'll be right back with a lot more from Marsha, Carla, and Eddie. So don't go away. We'll be right back with a lot more to talk about. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A Braveheart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, where we're talking with Eddie Garcia, Marcia Slater-Johnston, and Carla Perisinato, three nationally recognized experts on social isolation and loneliness. So before the break, we were talking about the fact that while there certainly is a, a major impact of loneliness with uh, the older population, see 60, 65 plus and, and older, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenon that affects many demographic groups. So talk about that, guys, about, I mean, I know that it, it's prevalent among 20-somethings, and then at various parts of life. Um, so, you know, what's going on at these various peaks? Do we have a sense of what's happening? Why these? Yeah, the Ron, so I'll just start off, uh, you know, to your point, and I'm glad you're bringing this up. I know this is a, a, a talk show for the older Americans, um, but to your point, this really is something that's impacting all populations. Um, study after study, poll after poll, shows that it is all populations, all walks of life, um, across the gamut. However, as we saw before the pandemic and after, um, to your point, uh, younger generations are re- at least reporting now um, to have higher rates of social isolation and loneliness. Um, you know, in October 2020, a study came out reporting that Generation Z um, uh, reported being 20% more isolated and 85% more lonely than, than persons 50 years and older. Mm-hmm. Now, again, but there could be issues here around reporting and bias, I'm sure. But, the, you know, the directionally, I think that we're seeing uh, that across study after study. And you asked earlier, like, so who, who are these other groups that are, are most susceptible? And it's, it's, it's logical. It's those groups of persons who feel they do not belong to the majority of society on the loneliness side. Right. Excuse me. Those who um, feel that their gender identity, their race, their ethnicity, sexual orientation, you know, other factors along those lines have have excluded them from from the majority of society, and that is, has presented in those populations from these studies as higher rates of self harm, suicidality, right. um, and and attempts across the board. And um, just last week, uh, the Surgeon General's Office um, did something um, pretty rare, and they issued a national advisory on youth mental health. Um, and and again, these issues are not exclusive to mental health. They, they are physical, they are cognitive, they are economic, there are other factors. But it's, it's an opportunity for us to focus on a broad population base. And from our perspective here for this talk show, think about prevention. You know, preventing right. the onset of further isolation and loneliness in older age. It's a real opportunity, and I'm glad that we're highlighting that here. Right, right. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, yes, first of all, yes, my my, uh, my target for the show is for 45 plus audience. But but increasingly in life, uh, as I covered senior issues earlier, it's everything is multigenerational. It, it doesn't really make sense to to basically isolate these demographics from each other. So they're related to one another. And I think that. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you guys about is that it seems that that some of these um, periods are of heightened loneliness are are related to what you were talking about, Carl, in terms of 
people get dislocated they need a sense of belonging and they're thrown off their their community mm-hmm. so say for for young you know 20 somethings you know they're they've gone through a period of life where, where it's been structured all the way through college you know and and that educational structure has kept them socially you know structured mm-hmm. as well regarding their families then they leave and it's like where am i now Right. But what's what's my network? And again, you can sort of see that logically happening later in life, you know, when people approach retirement, they're, they lose that connection again, some of it through mobility. I think that's a big issue in today's society. The fact that we lose that sense of connection because we're such a mobile society. We're moving all over the place and moving jobs, moving locations, you know, moving in, in every possible way, which is, is nice. It was a flexibility, but it also, you know, breaks our connections. I think that's absolutely right. And I think one good, and I don't remember who said this, but you know, one thing that's a good predictor is that losses predict loneliness. Mm-hmm. And that is something that's agnostic. So as again, as you mentioned, younger people, the move, the away from structure, that's a loss. You may be gaining something, but it may, may give you some time to regain that. I also think what's interesting, so as we get older, you're absolutely right, right, Bron, the changes in employment, the potential loss of a spouse, the redefinement of identity. We live in an ageist country that doesn't value aging. And so we're experiencing these changes that are predictors. It doesn't mean that happens to everyone, but it's but it increases your risk. If you think about the pandemic, there was with older adults, we've seen different phenotypes, so to speak. So some people actually did okay. Um, I would say I had some homebound older adults that I cared for were already used to sadly being isolated. And so suddenly being stuck at home was no change because they were already doing this. If anything, some people actually suddenly had more support because people (laughs) were calling all of a sudden, right? But for those of us that had been more mobile, suddenly being stuck at home was a huge change. So, um, you know, I think what's also interesting when you compare younger adults to older adults and the use of technology, which you started talking about earlier, right. is that, and I don't know, but I think there's some really interesting theories about there about how do we establish and develop relationships? And are our relationship quality the same when we work via technology versus in-person, in-depth um, in relationships? Right. And Marsha, Marcia, I think you're going to add Yeah, that. jump in, Marsha, on that topic. Well, I want to say that those of us who are active in the aging field, and I'm sure Carla's aware of this, that one of the big things is intergenerational um, movement, the intergenerational movement, bringing younger people to into contact with older adults and working together. And they do this in a variety of ways. Um, when you were talking about technology, Carla, um, a lot of younger people have been um, conscripted or enticed or whatever you want to call it into being sources of um, tech savvy to bring older adults onto the onto the internet, um, making them digitally um, and, and educated and comfortable, and and so the younger people help the older adults, and in that way, um, they're they're each each age group is is fighting loneliness and social isolation. The older adults are getting into where they can be plugged in. And, and use the internet. And the younger people have a sense of, of satisfaction that they have really been making a difference. And, and they have also companionship and a different perspective on life. 
And I, so I think that's one way. But one, one thing that I, I wanted to mention about intergenerational, there is now intergenerational housing that's, that's being uh, built and considered. And um, in one of the organizations that I belong to, which is called a village, uh, the board of directors is integrating younger people. So there's a kind of like a junior board that's really a junior board of young people who are interested in the village, interested in what the older adults are doing. And together, you know, it, it really makes for a wonderful atmosphere. And it's really worked well in the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Recently, I happened to um, yesterday uh, be part of a virtual art opening uh, oh, here wow. in Long Island. Uh, in which the um, the curators of this exhibit, um, I think it was named something like Two Together. And it was basically, they put together a program in which basically a younger person and an older person actually collaborated on pieces mm-hmm. of art. Mm-hmm. And they yes. and on screen, they had their, their piece, but then they also explained how they worked together. And you could tell that it was it was really engaging and really productive. And, and I think that that's something that um, you, you guys know quite well is that part of, you know, a loneliness at any age, I'm, I'm thinking about older people, especially, um, you know, when you, you know, finish your, you know, uh, relationships in, in getting married and have a family and to retire, retaining a sense of purpose and meaning mm-hmm. in life, you know, and if you don't have that, that that's, that's a real lack, you know, as you said, Marcia, a sense of loss. Um, yes, yes. And I want to say that what you were talking about, your virtual art opening, the Harry Jean Charlotte H. Slater Family Fund funded, um, oh, I think about 10 years ago, um, exactly that kind of project. But we did it with um, medical students, first-year medical students, and residents of a retirement community. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the, of the project was that they would – learn about each other's lives. They would each do a, an art project that, that um, illustrated some aspect of their partner's life. And then they exhibited them at a dinner. Right. And what happened was that the medical students and the older adults bonded. And even after the project ended, the medical students were going back to the retirement community and visiting their partners. And Really, the the bonds lasted for a very long time, right. and so this is a way of of um, combating ageism and especially ageism in the medical field, and also combating loneliness on both sides of the aging spectrum. Right, right. Well, you know, there there are many dimensions to this, and what I want to do is to now shift a little bit to probably um, start with you again, Eddie. Uh, but um, one of the things that, and I'm sure Marsha, you know, as a journalist uh, knows, will will know my experience here, which is that, you know, we journalists, when we do series and really take deep dives on the subject, you know, we'll have a seven part series and, and six parts will be about, you know, parsing it and, you know, bringing out every possible dimension of this problem. Then the last one will be on, oh, yeah. What are the solutions? So <laughs> I'd like to reverse that and, and spend some more time talking about what are we doing about it? And, mm-hmm. and Eddie, I mean, so there, we'll, we'll talk about some things people can do individually, but but systemically, what, what are some of the things you, you're working a lot with, creating partnerships and working on policies? So talk a little bit about the foundation and also the coalition you're working on. 
I think thanks, Ron. And I should mention that both Carla and Marsha are members of our coalition and our scientific advisory council. So we're in good company here. But to answer your question, you know, so we like to think about um, the various sectors and levels of impact um, that we can have collectively together. So more specifically, we're trying to think through uh, right now and put together sort of actionable strategic plans and, and action strategies um, that, for instance, the healthcare sector can do, that the housing sector, employers, the education sector, transportation, you know, so they, on and on. Each sector uh, and the way that we all live and those, those institutions that impact our lives, what role can they play? We also like to think about within those sectors and across those sectors, what are the broad-based policies um, from a national, global, state, local level that could be deployed? Um, what are the, what can our institutions do um, within those sectors? What can our communities do as they interact with those sectors? How do we engage interpersonally um, uh, and, and in engagement within those sectors? And then of course, how do those sectors impact the, the very individual and personal um, perspectives? So we're putting together these sort of broad race strategies across these sectors and levels of impact. And, put, and, and specifically on our coalition side, we're thinking through our advocacy, advocacy strategy along those lines. So um, what can we do to increase the availability of social services and, and healthcare services? What innovative technologies or programs can we support from a policy perspective? What funding for research can we think through? Um, and what global and national awareness campaigns need to be leveraged in order to have an impact in the space. So I'll right. see if Carla or Marsha have anything to add. Yeah, I think that to add to that, Eddie, I think what's really great about this is that really we need we do need a systemic framework and a formal way to think about this because just as we've talked about, loneliness and isolation are incredibly complex and how one becomes lonely or isolated may vary from person to person. And so it's not appropriate to just say, this is the one solution, the one size fits all. But if we think about it systematically in terms of which, what sector can do what, in what way, in which population are we serving, we're better equipped. For example, what Marsha needs may be very different than what I need. So I've talked before that I was pregnant during the pandemic, not exactly, uh, you know, it was, it was a difficult time to be pregnant and very isolating, yet the solutions that I needed to not feel lonely may have been very different than for someone else who just lost a spouse, for example. And so how do we think about this in terms of how do we help me as an individual and how do we, how do we help other pregnant women who may be having a similar situation, for example? I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's very important. Um, one of the things that Make Room at the Table has done to um, try to come up with a solution, we we don't do any hands-on or, or services or research or anything like that. We are a think tank to, to look at um, uh, ideas and, and what we can come up with and how they might work. One of the things that we have done is come up with lists on how to get through the holidays alone, um, because the holidays are, are really a, a dreadful time if you're alone and, and uh, isolated. One list is tips on how to celebrate a solo holiday. But the second list, which I think is the most important, is how if you're not 
alone. You're, you have everybody around you. You're going to have a wonderful holiday celebration. But how can you reach out to somebody you know is alone mm-hmm. and make their holiday better and make them less lonely and less isolated? And I think that goes to a feeling that we have at Make Room at the Table, that the community is responsible for trying to alleviate social isolation and loneliness and not just the lonely individual. Um, If I could just jump in there, I think Marcia said something really important, at least from my perspective, um, and I'll make this quick, that the community plays a vital role um, in leading programs and coalitions to tackle this issue. And there is a piece of legislation going through um, Congress right now called the Build Back Better Act. And it has a variety of very large sort of social programs and healthcare sector um, pieces of, of, of policy moving through it. One piece in particular is a part of the Elder Justice Act reauthorization, which would include $250 million for community-based organizations to deploy programs like what Marsha's talking about across the country. We vitally need that piece of legislation to pass Congress. It was in the House bill. It was just pulled out of the Senate bill. So we'd love to see that get put back in and passed before the end of this year. Right. Yeah, the, these are, are complicated topics. And I think one of the, there are a couple of obstacles. I think, first of all, um, uh, one is that a, a lot of things you're talking about are not only looking at the, at the, at the problems, but as you mentioned, Eddie, are prevention-based. So it's hard to quantify prevention sometimes. It comes sort of, you know, it's, it's a, a looking backwards uh, phenomenon. So you, you sort of see it um, in terms of reduced medical costs, but it, it, and, and one of the things is it, it makes the quality of life better, but it doesn't necessarily provide consumer spending. <laughs> so it, 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 it adds the quality of life. And I think, you know, uh, people, you know, really recognize the importance of that, especially during the pandemic. Um, and I think there's also just a, con- you know, like um, when when we come back from the break, we just have a couple seconds now. But um, I want to talk about um, this uh, this um, you know uh, experiment in the United Kingdom where they have this minister of loneliness because uh, there have been some interesting results from that, and I wonder if some of that can be replicated here. Uh, and of course, it it, it takes on uh, what you've mentioned, Eddie, which is that it's a, it's a multiple approach. It involves a community on many different levels. So, folks, we're going to take another quick break. But don't go anywhere. We've got a lot more to talk about in our final segment. So um, come back, and we'll be back with Eddie, Carla, and Marsha after the break. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Eddie Garcia, Marcia Slater-Johnston, and Carla Perisinotto, three nationally recognized experts on social isolation and loneliness. Before the break, we were talking about, you know, just the impact of programs. Um, and, um, uh, we, you know, I mentioned that um, in the UK, they a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, they appointed a minister of loneliness. And I'm wondering if you guys think that that approach could work here. I think they've made some progress there. They've been the typical bureaucratic you know, missteps getting things going. But I think that there have, they have been starting to look at some interesting, pro, you know, results from this. I would, I would love that, to, oh, go ahead. Go no, <laughs> I, I'll just, I'll, Eddie, you probably have so much more amazing things to say than I do. But I, I think as a, at a very basic level, what I love about the Minister of Loneliness is that it means that this is a national priority. This is a national problem. It affects all of us. It is age agnostic. It has economic consequences. It has health consequences. It has social consequences. And that's what l- labeling that person does is just saying, we can't ignore this. Probably we're on exactly the same page. <laughs> That's why we're just friends gonna, and colleagues. <laughs> gonna, maybe we're starting to have group think. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but, but Ron, to, to Carla's point, just to say it again, it catalyzes a national strategy and a an, national movement. And I don't mean just at a federal level. I do mean that all the stakeholders across the, the gamut play a role and have a sort of guiding star toward and we're seeing that, of course, through the Minister of Loneliness in the UK, but we also just recently over the summer saw the appointment of a Minister of Loneliness in Japan, oh, who sorry. has incredibly high rates of suicidality across populations. Um, as part of our work uh, in the Coalition on Social Isolation and Loneliness, we are the co-chairs of the Global Initiative on Loneliness and Connection. We've now built a new partnership with the World Health Organization, um, and a budding affiliation with the European Union's Joint Commission on Research um, to help catalyze this very topic of sort of setting national strategies and helping to instill um, 
uh, point persons across governments um, that would catalyze movement or, um, um, in this way. In the U.S., we have um, persons like the, the U.S. Surgeon General who's taking this up as a, a very um, key uh, pa- platform issue. But even beyond that, the Surgeon General, I believe, needs even more authority. Um, and so we would love to see a real chair um, um, on this topic for the, the federal government. Right, right. I think it's very difficult to get people to talk about so isolation and, and loneliness. And I mm-hmm. think um, that is a real barrier. Um, certainly in this in this country, and people don't want to admit if they're socially isolated or lonely. Um, they don't want to think, <clears throat> excuse me, about other people who are socially isolated and lonely. It's just it's like death, and it's like a lot of things that people don't want to approach. And I think it would be wonderful to have a minister of um, loneliness in the United States or probably would have a different title. But right. I think the point is that you would have to have public will and you would have to have um, media support. You would have to have political support. And and getting that certainly would be wonderful, but it is a challenge. Yeah. Is- so, you know, to your point really quickly, uh, a poll came out today that said 78% of voters um, think that that loneliness and isolation um, became worse for younger populations, and that the government needs to do something about it. So, That's at least amazing. for younger populations, there's a large mass of political will and political support yeah. Yeah. Um, for this to move. Well, and I think that's important, Eddie, because you know. I'm a geriatrician, so I study about the health effects in older adults, but I think what we don't know is what happens when we develop this loneliness or experience earlier and for longer periods of time. We don't really know yet what a dose response is, like how long do you have to experience this? I think we know from the pandemic that it was actually a very short amount of time you could start to have negative outcomes, but we don't know long term. (laughs) Um, And so that's that's really important to start thinking about. And I do agree with you, Marsha. I think we need to have several people agree we have to do something about that. That, and I would say that that includes payers. This has negative health outcomes. We pay for medications. We pay for very costly things that don't have big impacts on our health. But like, this is something that really affects all of us and we need to take it seriously. And when I talk to my patients, um, you know, I do talk to them about their social health. I say, hey, this is, this is just as important, if not probably more important than some of the things I am prescribing to you. So let's actually talk about how we prioritize your social health. Right. Yeah, I think that um, uh, certainly to your point, Eddie, I mean, I, I think that this is something that the younger populations are certainly are, are, are aware of. Uh, I think we also, we realize though that, that and I think some of the experience in, in UK uh, pointed this out, that, that government plays an important role, but not the only role. And that mm-hmm. there, you know, when one thinks about community, that involves a lot of different components or, or to use your word, stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And so there needs to be a lot of participation at a lot of different levels. Um, and I think that, um, you know, one of the things, too, is that, um, you know, there, there are things that we can do and promote programs at larger systemic level, as well as an individual level. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we started talking about was just the sense of meaning and purpose and connection. And so, um, you know, I've been, people talk about, well, one, there, there, there are ways we can treat loneliness, but there are ways we can prevent it by mm-hmm. increasing social connection. And, uh, you know, so one of the things is just people talk about, you know, volunteering and, and service, you know, as ways to, 
help people get out of themselves and connect to others and and sort of see their value being recognized because i think that's one of the things i've i've heard about loneliness is that there is this sense of of um, you know loss of connection but almost invisibility mm-hmm. you know and that's what a lot of seniors they talk about they feel invisible mm-hmm. so how do you make them visible the invisible well, man and women go ahead marsha well one of the things it's funny you should say that because one of the things that we talked about Friday at um, the last Make Room of the Table um, meeting for the for the year is um, how can we make it easier for older adults to volunteer? And we looked at a, a lot of different ways that we could do that and, and where we would fit in at Make Room at the Table, how, how we could facilitate that. So I think you're absolutely right about volunteerism. And I would like to say that that one of the things too about volunteerism is that it's important when we look at it, to look at it for younger people, for people in midlife and for older people, but also to look at it for many of the people whom Carla deals with, and that is people who are homebound. Hmm. And these people really get lost in the the shuffle. They Mm -hmm. really get cast aside. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I think we need to look at is how do we bring people who are homebound, who are bedridden, mm-hmm. how do we still make them have a, have a reason to get up in the morning? How do we make them feel that they, that they are, um, have some feeling of accomplishment? And just real quickly, I'd like to say that we were once approached in the Slater Family Fund with a wonderful program um, that had people who were homebound, older adults, calling people who were frailer, homebound mm-hmm. older adults, so that these people who, who still had a lot to give, but just were physically incapacitated or yep. had early Alzheimer's or something, were able to to reach out to make somebody else happy, to, to have a reason to get up because they had to call someone. And so we need to have more creativity in in developing these these kinds of of programs that reach out to people who really get lost in, in the shuffle, not just in social isolation, loneliness, but just generally in society. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you raised, that's a very good point, Marsha. And, and uh, Carla, with, with your people who are home about it, that's one of the things that I think that, I think in terms of caregiving for older, our old population, mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of conversation now, but it's it's really from almost a, a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. In other words, so people are, are are pushing for these programs for increased funding for these programs, um, mainly because it's it's cheaper than right. institutional right. <laughs> care, right. uh, and that may be the case. And I think certainly people um, per, they they do prefer you know age in place in their homes. But then the, the probably the most important, well, not most, one of the most important components, the social connection yep. is, is what gets left behind. You know? You're absolutely right. And I think what's interesting as we start to think about solutions is that, again, getting back to this idea that not, uh, you know, one size doesn't fit all, but right. a lot of current solutions are really focusing about around new connections. But I have many patients that don't want new connections. They huh. want to figure out how can they can improve the connections they already have. So in my practice, some of the things that we did was actually help people get on with technology or learn how to use these things so that they could connect with family in other states in ways that they never could. Would they rather see someone in person? 
Yes. But short of that, when that wasn't possible or when it's not, can we reduce the barriers to connection? Um, and, 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 and that's, that's how we start to do it. So lots of solutions. And it's just about being mindful and remembering the, the invisible populations at home. So thank you, Marsha, for reminding us of that. And let's also remember, you know, we're all in love with telehealth. And, and Make Room at the Table is partnering with some doctors from the University of Chicago on, on that very point. But one of, one of our members who's very, very uh, uh, highly placed in the, in the aging world pointed out that as you get people not going to doctor's offices, but, but doing it online, and as you take, you have all these Amazon stores where there's no clerks or nobody, you just go in and buy things and go out that you're taking away a source of human support for yep. older people. Yep. And Carla, I'm sure you know this, a lot of, for a lot of older people, especially old, older, frail people, to go to the doctor's office is their big outing. Yes, absolutely. And they talk to the receptionist, yep. they, they, the nurse pats them on the shoulder, mm-hmm. and and this is this is a social a yeah. big social connection. Right. You're absolutely so right. it's wonderful to have all these tech things, and I'm all for it. But we've got to find ways to to substitute for the human connection that we are removing from people's right. lives. Right. We just have a couple minutes to go, so I want to give Eddie. I want to give you the last word and some of your thoughts on what we we want the the legacy to be in terms of dealing with this issue. Uh, no, I, I appreciate it, Ron. And I certainly want to give my colleagues an opportunity to just respond too. I, you know, I think, um, you know, I'd say partnerships is a, a huge issue here. Um, and I think that we've touched on that in a variety of ways. Um, but I, I can't underscore enough the need for us all to come together. And I mean all sectors, all stakeholders, um, the young, the old, everyone in between, um, and our need to work together to find the solutions to build back that connection. Um, the Surgeon General talks about re, re, refinding our, our social fabric, um, and I, I couldn't agree with that, that sentiment more, and I think we can only do that together. Right, right. Great. Um, well, uh, we're going to have to reserve more for another show, folks. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to take the last minute or so just to thank you folks for a terrific conversation. And I want our audience, if you missed this conversation, uh, tell your friends who can see, listen to it again as a podcast on voiceamerica.com. Search for my show 45 Forward, or you can find it on my website, roelresources.com. Just click on the 45 Forward tab. And um, so, folks, um, be sure to join me next week. Uh, Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be talking with Miyoko Chu from the Cornell Lab of Cornell uh, Lab of Ornithology about the world of birds and how it can enrich the world of humans, especially as we get older. So, until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.